Good evening, everybody. We have a awesome episode of Sawdust Talk for you tonight. This is the 82nd episode of Sawdust Talk, so uh, fun fact. We have Jimmy Duressa on tonight. We are super excited to talk to him, uh, learn about his background, learn about his story, and uh, just see kind of what we what we stumble into tonight. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start getting everybody in, and we'll see what happens. Uh, while we're doing that, we want to thank our sponsors, George Supply Co. and Surf Prep. Uh, I'm just going to keep coming up with funny things for Surf Prep to start using for marketing, and I'll send them the invoice at the end. So Surf Prep. It may look like it's meant to exfoliate your skin, but don't do it because it'll hurt. Surf prep. All right, let's get everybody in. Hello. Oh, hey. Hey, hey. What's up, guys? Hey, bud. How you doing? I'm doing great. Trying to get my phone from falling over. I uh, I went looking. I couldn't find my my cell phone mount, and uh, then I remembered I had attached it to my garage track earlier today to record something. And so, luckily, I remembered that before before I tried to open it. Right on. What are you guys doing? Where, where, where is everybody in the world? Uh, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm in Tacoma, Washington. Upstate New York. So we're, we're covering coast to coast. And uh, once TJ gets in, he'll also be helping me represent the middle of the country. I apologize for not reposting some of that stuff, but it is strange Instagram decides what it wants to censor you from seeing. It's unfortunate because on occasion people will send me a message and it'll pop up randomly and then I'll see it and I'll go, oh, I haven't heard from them in a while. And then I look and there's like 10 unanswered messages that I was never alerted to. And it's the same instance with you guys. I, I saw the invite and all that other stuff 10 seconds ago. <laughs> it finally showed up. It didn't show up earlier today. And when you gave me the link to look at it, it didn't show it in that. But only tonight when I finally opened up your page again for the 10th time did it finally show it. So I don't know what that's about. I apologize. Well, that is okay because it looks like we have a good crowd coming in tonight. So. Holy, okay. holy. Uh, yeah, we're at 90, bouncing between like 94 and 99. I think that's the most people we've had on right, right out of the gate ever. So. Okay. Uh, it's probably because of Kamani. They knew Kamani was going to be on. It's the hair. <laughs> They they wanted to find out if Kamani saw survived the the fall. <laughs> I watched that thing fall about six hundred times. <laughs> it, yeah, a lot of people did. <laughs> it was it was a great piece of content. I tell you, that was so crazy. And how all the bad, it did a lot of good. So you know. Yeah 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 yeah. Yeah how how lucky that you just happened to be recording at that moment. I mean. One minute later, you forget your phone inside, and all that good, juicy content just gone. Yeah. Well, yeah. It just would have been the aftermath of me showing that it would have just been bad, bad news. But yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, it's funny about that because I get a lot of deliveries as well, and and the guys with those trucks with the tailgates and the carts, they're so confident. They think that they could 
because they've done it so much. Like, I got this. And all of a sudden, a 700-pound saw is upside down <laughs> on the street. Like, And then, the, oh, man, that never happens. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I don't want to tell people how to do their job. There's a lot of people, you know, I see you pull this thing off the edge and I'm like, that looks bad, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And that was, that was the one time I probably should not have given somebody the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> uh, like you said, you ended up with a piece of classic footage. So I did. So uh, met a lot of met a lot of interesting people through that process. So yeah. that's what I, I say it all the time. I say uh, always roll because you just might get that Tosh 2.0 moment. You don't know what you don't know when it's going to happen. Yep, I definitely did make it to the fail army. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Har Harvey Harvey had to have been just saying, "Man, we couldn't have paid for this kind of publicity." Uh, yeah, Har Harvey. For those that that know, because I know a couple of my friends are watching, they don't know. Kamani got a saw delivered and he stood there and he watched the delivery guy being all cocky with his hand truck. And two seconds later, the thing was upside down, fell about six feet from the back of the truck, upside down onto the ground. And then he loaded it back up and drove away. <laughs> yeah, I had to help him load it back up so he could drive. But yeah, yeah it, fell from, it fell from about eight feet in the air onto the ground. Yeah, but that is, that is now a uh, piece of uh, content in rotation at the Harvey warehouse of uh, how to and not to uh pack and unload a, a saw so uh but it's on it's unfortunate I, I mean i know we can get into other stuff we're just sitting here talking about a, a saw falling off a truck but it's like probably the when you get something shipped in america it leaves the factory goes to a hub gets dropped off at another hub gets resold to another delivery company mm -hmm. by the time they he doesn't know if he's delivering dry ice a piece of meat or a saw he has no idea he has yeah. no idea and you know these guys you, you assume that like he's a woodworker like us so he's going to be delicate with the saw that reminds me, and I just thought of it, when I got my saw stop, I got my uh, my big the big panel saw saw stop, the one that's the three phase. I got a message. It, I wasn't at my shop, but the guy was at my shop with it. And he goes, I'm here at the shop with your saw. I said, well, I'll be right over. He goes, but there's a problem. I go, what? He goes, it was poked with a forklift. The dial handle's broken off and it's got a big puncture right through the, the base of it. Do you still want it? Oof. I said, I'll he said, I don't want it. He goes, all right, I'll put it back on the truck. I'll take it back. I was like, okay, cool. I didn't even have to go to that place to help him, like, take it off. He, he, he warned me. So there you go. Just but I didn't, get any of that. I didn't get any of that on film. No. I feel no. like a forklift going into anything is just almost never a good thing. <laughs> it's never good to be poked with a forklift. I, he said, do you want to still, because you want to, you want to take delivery? I just like, what? It's like, no. Yeah. Send it back. Yeah, $10,000. That guy was like, I, I understand if you don't want to sign for this. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a bold statement to make. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they so they asked that. I wonder how many people have that happen. And then they're just like, yeah, well, I'll just take it. I'll sign for it. I mean, that's got to work, what, one out of 100 times? Probably more, because you're right. Some people are too afraid to buck the system they figure they'll just deal with customer service later i guess oh yeah so uh i'm sure we could uh regale each other with shipping nightmares but uh <laughs> we, are, we are here to talk about somebody else tonight uh mr Duresta. so uh i will uh give you the floor for the people i doubt anybody who doesn't but for the people who don't know let us uh know a little bit about you and then we'll go around to the rest of the group yeah. 
I've been making things my whole life. I started out working in my dad's workshop right beside my dad. My dad was a carpenter, a handyman, and most of his time was spent as a New York City fireman. And I learned curiosity and tinkering from my dad mostly. As I grew up, I developed my own personal curiosities about stuff that he never was interested in. And I ended up going to architecture school through high school. Half the day was spent at architecture school and math from uh, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And I thought I'd be an architect, but I realized as I got older, I was kind of more freeform. I wasn't necessarily into the rigidness that most architects tend to be. And I didn't know what school to go to because I didn't want to go to architecture school. I didn't know what to do. So I took a year off out of high school. And I ended up going to the School of Visual Arts through some friends' recommendations. And, and that set me off as sort of more of a freeform artist than a maker. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. I've always been making signs ever since I was in elementary school and in high school making signs. I actually had a, a job making proper signage for banks and buildings and businesses around Long Island with electrical lighting and welding and stuff. So I learned all that in high school. And that was a real good job because it taught me so many different workshop techniques that just apply to so many different things and i started doing toys i designed and developed toys and went to used to go to china a lot to develop the engineering and the manufacturing of toys from 1990 till about 2010 i think was my last trip 2009 and i had several various tv shows and then one of my last TV shows that uh, I had no control over, which was, I mean, you have no control over any TV show. But the one particular incident, I started doing YouTube right after the show was canceled early. And what felt like unnecessarily, it was more of a pol politics thing internally. Not necessarily the show wasn't good quality or, or fun. And so that was frustrating. I realized the only way to really control your destiny is to do your own YouTube channel. And that's what brought me to YouTube 10, 12 years ago so i have to i have to ask you say it was it was politics but you had access to a large cat poop catapult did that have anything to do with the politics no that was a different show so the show that uh that was uh, the pivotal moment for me to go to youtube was a show called dirty money that was on discovery channel we did 12 episodes of it and it was a real fun show. It was getting great ratings. It had all good producers behind the scenes. And by the way, I had nothing to do with choosing any of these people. I did a, a pilot, me and my brother were goofing off with the camera, made a pilot. I showed it to somebody that I was connected to that was in the TV business. And he put together a team. We were able to sell it to Discovery Channel. So it's a good example to people watching where if you have a camera and a good idea, you can shoot something fun and interesting and then give it to somebody and they can do all the dirty work. So I just focused on the fun, interesting parts of having fun with the camera, with a curious idea of picking garbage and making it into stuff. My brother, John, thought of the idea. And I did all the film work. One thing led to another. And then one thing led to another. I'm forget I'm leaving out a little part. We shot it. And then like four years later, we got it on Discovery Channel. So nothing happens overnight either. So the, the show ended up on Discovery Channel. And the show was going well. And it was fun. We, the season was set and done and starting to air. And then the network fired a group of people and that group of people were responsible for my show. So it had nothing to do with the show personally. That group of people and all the shows they represented all went the way of the West and they just started over with a new group of people and a new group of show ideas. So there wasn't anything personal about my show or my performance or my brother. It was just 
it was just to show it was it, it highlighted the how out of control you have how no control little to no control you have over your idea when you're in a corporate situation and that's why i said youtube it's only me the camera and my edits and me alone and nobody telling me to do something differently or anything so you you mentioned also doing toys and i mean everybody that's watched like your Instagram and your YouTube, I mean, you do metalworking, you do woodworking, you do, I mean, you do everything. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there any medium that you haven't gotten into or tried or anything that kind of you're hesitant to get into from a medium standpoint? Uh, well, I've dabbled in casting steel and, uh, well, steel, I say steel, I meant to say brass and aluminum. I've experimented with that. I haven't gotten more involved. I have a project now, I'm gonna be making a bell it was kind of a special order and uh I'll, that of course will all be turned into a video so years ago i talked about making a bell and then it kind of went by the wayside primarily because i don't have anybody to guide me through it so it's one of those it's like kind of into the unknown but recently somebody said hey remember you were going to make a bell now i have a good reason for you to make a bell could you do that and so now i'm going to kind of focus on it with a, with a proper with a, with a proper purpose so that's one thing that i'm a little nervous to get into i'm doing it i'm going to do it and, as long as I have a good form or a good 3D print, I'll be able to attempt it a few times, which I need to leave myself enough time to attempt it. Maybe the first attempt will come out good with some good research, but I'll be able to do it a couple of times. So there's, that's one thing that I'm very un, unsure of. And pottery is something that I've always talked about getting into. I've made some successful pottery projects, but nothing that is groundbreaking. I would just consider that all just in the process of learning and experimenting with the material. Everything I made looked it's like something anybody in the world would have made. I don't have a style yet. I don't have a, a, a voice of my own when it comes to pottery. And that's something that I would like to try and figure out. I see some beautiful pottery and with years of experience. And I wonder, how can I jump the years of experience and come up with something unique and interesting that, I, that people would know right away is mine? So I'm, I, that's all happening in the background. And, but when my hands catch up to what my mind is doing, hopefully they'll come together and come up with something fun and interesting. But as far as anything else, there's there's not much. I mean, I'm not much for action sports, so I don't do. I don't want to be a pilot. I don't want to snowboard. I don't want to do any of that stuff. When it comes to the shop, it's pretty much mostly I've done leather work. I really enjoy learning the sewing machine. When you crack out and figure out how to use a sewing machine, and you like crack the code there, it's it's pretty empowering. It's like it's it's, it's empowering as figuring out how to use a 3D printer or a CNC machine. You start to feel like you're a little bit of a superhero and you can figure anything out. Have you done any glass blowing? Glass blowing, I did do, I did take a glass blowing class in, in 2007 or eight in Brooklyn at the uh, Urban Glass Center there. And the one thing I realized about glass is that the glass is, you, you could obviously spend years and years and years and getting good at it but to me it felt like i'd have to become part of that culture to get good at it you need you need the glass you need the glory hole you need the the shop facilities you need every project is a team project and and i noticed it's very these these glass centers are very clicky you got to be involved with you know and there's always like the hot shot glass guy that knows how to do everything and you know i noticed when i was at the brooklyn center this is so many years ago but there was a couple of guys that liked they were the hotshot guys. They're like, yeah, this is my facility. Even though he's just the, you know, he's like a resident in the facility. 
I just didn't feel like it was, I like to work alone and it just didn't feel, didn't, it didn't pull me in the way. It was a communal thing and, you know, the, I don't want to say anything bad about Brooklyn Urban Glass. <laughs> <laughs> but it just wasn't for me. And it was a lot. You, you make something in glass and then you got to put it in the kiln and let it right. come back to earth. It takes days and it just, the, the immediacy of it to me wasn't there. Same thing with pottery, which is also good in trolling with pottery. It's a little bit more forgiving. You're not dealing with something that's 2,000 degrees and rushing around and having to work with an assistant. And, you know, there, there's all that short. It's like, it's like an orchestra, and you got to spend years getting into the orchestra. I, I wasn't ready for that. Right. So, um, I'm a, I'm, it looks like I'm taking over co-hosting duties. So uh, thank you for that awesome introduction. Uh, but we do have uh, three other people here that uh, kind of made all this show possible and allowed me to join. So I'm going to throw it over to Brayden to introduce himself. Oh, yeah. We normally do this like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Kamani, I had just like given up control. This was just going where it was. Um, my name is Brayden. I'm with Little Bug Woodworking. I do cnc work and would i don't know i just do whatever i can out here it mostly just keeps me out of trouble so i'll try anything once and i'm in omaha nebraska nice. tj yeah so i'm tj with tjt workshop here in st louis missouri uh most of the woodworking i do involves spinning it on a lathe uh oh, cool. do a little bit of metalworking here and there in fact there may or may not be a plasma cutter headed to my home in the not too distant future Oh, which should be kind of fun. fun. Um, They're really fun. Yeah, so we're we're gonna have a a lot lot of fun around here. But uh, yeah, this is this is what we do around here, man. We we chit chat, we joke, we have fun. Mm -hmm. So also, am I? I'm gonna take coming my, in loud and clear. I I feel like I'm yeah buffering a little bit, or maybe everybody else is buffering. I don't know. That well, we can hear. There's a little buffering, deal. but yeah, we hear you. I. Some, I, I'm, I'm taking my glasses off just so you can see my eyes, but I can't see. Everything's blurry. Do I look like I've been maced or do I look normal? It's a little pixelated, but uh, <laughs> no, you look right now. You look okay. When the screen clears, we'll let you know. Yeah. Okay. So can I ask some questions about being a maker and it being produced for television? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so I, I love watching woodworking on, on TV. And one of the things that I'm always curious about, especially like being a wood turner, when I see other people who have woodworking shows, they have a, a pretty good knack of technique. But when you were doing stuff either with making fun or with making it, were there also like production assistant elves that were using the miracle of TV and editing to make sure that all of this stuff happened? Uh, you know, when any show that I'm on personally, I know that they, they always, it's funny because, uh, Mike was the producer of making fun and he, and, and I'm saying, I use him making fun as the example, because I'm making it, the NBC show is more of an assistant. I was an assistant to the entire, uh, crew of contestants. And I was there to make sure that what they made came out good, that they didn't fall completely on their face. So there was some behind the scenes magic in the way that like, I would come in and be like, the producers need to have a scene finished. We don't want to see you fall completely on your face. Don't use that tool for that technique. You know, <laughs> there are game show rules, but I did have to come in there and say, if you've never used that, 
now's not the time to learn it. Go with something that works, you know? And then occasionally it's like, let that person use the thing they never use because we want to see them have a, a win on camera. You know, so we, we tried to, there was a show where we geared people to win no matter what it took. And, and that was my, that was my position on that show. And, but when it came to making fun, a lot of times, every single time, all the time, 100% of the time, I made up stuff as I went along. I knew this episode, we were going to make a dinosaur. And so we started making the dinosaur and Mike would be like, why don't we let somebody else jump in and you can go relax. I was like, I mean, I can't just sit here and watch somebody else do something that I, my brain is thinking up in real time. So it's just not possible. So after the first couple of episodes, Mike stopped offering me the help, but I, I had the help of the entire crew. I mean, we were all makers, me and, and Paul and Pat and John and, and Derek, we all make. So I led, I led the charge most of the time, but you know, Paul led the charge when he was working on his side. It was kind of me and Paul both leading the charge on our little bits and pieces of what we were doing. And occasionally, of course, Pat was running the lathe. So anything Pat came up with, he was running the lathe. But the overall art direction kind of fell on my shoulders a little bit for like the main object. But then the, then if you look at a big, bigger view, the crew, the art crew came up with the fun, crazy stuff, the sets and every part time we did act three and everything was all crazy design bigged up in the backyard. That was Justine and Laura and the crew doing all the art department stuff in the background. And uh, so I, I guess the question is, there are shows that do have people jump in and finish. That's usually mostly the carpentry type shows. But when it's like a maker show, and I, can, I could probably guess 100%, although I wasn't there and I don't have any personal knowledge. When you see Metal Masters, I guarantee you they wouldn't let anybody jump in and do anything for them. If it was a type of big thing, like, for instance, I know Ray Ripple made these big wings, you know, that probably took a long time. Yeah. She probably did 90% of it and let somebody cut out two of them just to shut the producers up. I'm just guessing. I don't know that for sure. But I, I know everybody on Metal Masters, from my point of view, looked like they wouldn't let anybody touch their work. They wanted to make sure, especially uh, um, I'm blanking on the, our sexy voice friend in Michigan, uh, you know, the, who won. They, these people wouldn't let anybody jump in. But when you see a show like on HGTV where it's like, let's make over this kitchen. You know, there's like 10 anonymous people doing all the cabinetry work and stuff like that. Yeah. There's, let's there's no let's turn a hollow form in uh, what the show's called, like the woodshed or something brought to you by Rikon, sponsored by Rikon with help from Rikon, mm -hmm. the Rikon show. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know the show. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, he's had a couple of wood turning episodes and uh, it's like he'll he'll get the shape roughed out, and that's all well and good. But then magically the camera cuts, and it's like sanded to a, a mirror finish. And it's like, well, yeah. you left out the boring part. But yeah, yeah, I was just wondering, like when you guys were shaping the dinosaur legs, right? Like that's a lot of foam to cut. But I guess you can kind of crack a beer and joke with your friends and knock it out, right? Yeah. No, anytime the cameras went down, me and Derek and Paul and John and Pat, we did all the work because there was, there was like, there was supposedly to be help, like, there was help, but they helped like, uh, you know, some of the, the, the technical team like Aaron and uh, a couple of other technical guys would like, they would make the fart cannon off camera. So when it came time for us to do it, like, we would just show how it was made basically. And, but they, they, because it was really, we had to kind of fold time back on itself most of the time. That would be the main reason. But when it came to like the big props, we made them all ourselves, whether the camera was on or not. We were all doing it. Ivan, who won Metal Masters, is who I was thinking of. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, when it comes to maker shows, there's no reason for us to sit back and kick our feet up and watch somebody do the work we were hired to do to begin with when it gets down to it. If anything, it's really just a matter of time, not a matter of like, I'm going to go to my trailer now, call me when the dinosaur is done. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elite Woodworking asked when Making Fun 2 is coming out because his kids love the show. I, I know. I wish, I wish somebody would tell me when Making Fun 2 is coming out. I wish I knew. No, they, they, they did not pick the show up for uh, a specific reason, which is we all think is bogus. They said they, they didn't pick it up because the show wasn't getting binged like other shows. But, you know, the first thing Derek said is who's going to let their 10-year-old binge an eight-hour series? <laughs> so I th think we should have had a little bit more leniency as far as us not getting the binge bump up. It's a children's TV show. I wonder if all children's TV shows get binged when they are shows that no one's ever heard of, you know, we've always been in the top 10 with like Disney and all these other crazy shows that have 50 years worth of branding. Well, uh, Evan's workshop. I don't know if you guys met him at, uh, yep, I know. Evan. I know. I mean, he's a great kid. He, he's, he's in here. Evan, let us know if you binged making fun on Netflix. <laughs> he's a little bit he's... older. He probably, <laughs> he could watch TV on his own. <laughs> <laughs> Evan's like 14, maybe 12, 14. All I know. Yeah. Um, yeah I was just, go ahead. I was just going to say they, they told us, I, I, and then a few months after they told us they weren't picking the show up and we were all very disappointed. There was a, there was a, a Twitter conversation trending on Twitter and they were saying that there was an internal conflict at, Twi at uh, Netflix because some people felt that the algorithm was doing a bad job at choosing what did and didn't get the second season, the computer mm. model that they had internally versus just the old network gut feeling of like, Hey, this show, let's give us another season. It'll, it'll catch on. And, yeah, it's, apparently, it's, and I think we felt, we felt victim to that computer model of, okay, does this show show signs of a potential hit? And, According to the computer, they didn't think so. You would think winning an award would uh, kind of bump that algorithm, but uh, apparently they're they're letting nah. the computers win. And just now, nah, you know, it's it's so it's so everything is so muddied up now. You know, when I was a child, I'm 56 years old, but when I was a kid, everybody stopped and watched the Emmys. Everybody stopped and watched the Grammys. Everybody stopped and watched the Oscars. Now nobody watches any of those shows. Nobody cares what makes what. You know, if there was if there was to put it in relative terms, if there was 10 shows to watch on a Saturday night in 1979, now there's 10,000 shows to watch on a Saturday night in this particular day and age. So that just spreads out the focus of who's winning what, who cares who's winning what, what's the hit song. And this, like there's 15 different hit songs. This is 15 different categories of music people listen to. Where back in the day, there was the pop charts. And if you listen to anything but the pop charts, you're a weirdo. So. Different time and place. Did you guys know that Smooth by Santana is the only song to hold the record for being the number one song in two separate centuries? Because it was the last week of 1999 and it was the first week of 2000. <laughs> That's interesting. Bit of trivia. Fun fact for your trivia nights. All right. Uh, Jimmy, are there any more of your, what is it, gurgling guts toys floating around in places that are not eBay? Like, <laughs> 
You have uh, a shadow know, box with one like hidden <laughs> on your property somewhere. I have one that sits over my August stove, my stove that's always warm. So it's always warm in the general vicinity. And any minute now, it's going to pop. <laughs> I keep it. It's uh, every once in a while. I look at it in the button of the silicone pouch that it's in is all distended, and I go to pick it, and it's like all soft and gooey. So any minute now, I'm going to have like a blood streak on my wall. But the gurgling guts is a toy that I made that's filled with fake blood, and it's either an eyeball, a brain, or a representation of a stomach. And you squeeze it, and it's in a clear, it's in a clear silicone. There it is. Yeah. It's in a clear silicone ball. So when you squeeze it, it makes a slurping sound on the blood that's inside. And they break. They, they do eventually break. And if you have old stock, at this point, it's almost 30 years old. So the stock will, will rip at the minute, the minute you pinch it, it's going to pop and squirt on you. But they do still make them. I don't get royalties anymore because it's been mutated so many times. And I don't even know if the ones that are getting made are knockoffs or if they're made by, but the brand and everything is all knocked off. And it doesn't sell enough to make a difference. It doesn't make enough money. Even if I was chasing those royalties, I'd probably get like a $5,000 check for the whole year, if that much. Which is, I mean, it's nothing to sneeze at, but it's, uh, I'm not going to retire with that type of money. What does retirement for you look like? That's kind of an interesting idea. Because we understand that, you know, we all need money to, to pay bills and stuff like that. But you've managed to parlay doing something that at least you've built a wonderful story around us thinking is some of your favorite stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Retirement is just me just continuously tinkering, doing what I do now, but not having to talk to as many people. I think <laughs> I would do exactly what I do now and I just wouldn't have to talk to as many people and I probably wouldn't get on an airplane again. And if I had to, I just, they'd put me in the back of a pickup truck because I'll probably be 600 pounds and they'll take me down to maker camp and they'll put me, a put a tent around me and then I'll be an attraction. So speaking of maker camp, uh, a lot of people are starting to in the comments, they're all talking about Maker Camp. Uh, yeah. So what, what was it like last year to realize that Maker Camp needed not just one, but two Jimmy DeRestos? <laughs> yeah, yeah. DIY Dave, and he enlisted 50 or so, probably 55 maybe, people to 3D print various pieces of a big life-size version. I was very honored, and it was really, it was really, uh, it was really humbling, and, and it was beautiful. I still have it. I'm going to bring them over to Maker Camp, the Jimmy, Jimmy 2, Jimmy Plastic Jimmy. It was really cool. And I still meet people that go, oh, I made your pocket or I made your crotch or I made your <laughs> It's really cute. Oh, it's really cool. That's be a very no, it was humbling. interaction. It, it, Somebody it, walk it, up, it, hey, I made your crotch. Like, <laughs> yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Nice to meet you in person for the first time. I spent a lot of time 3D modeling your butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, well, Dave, Dave, that would have been Dave because Dave is the one who did the scan and then pieced it out and then sent it to everybody. But they, I guess they would have had to put it in a slicer or whatever. Yeah. So. No, I spent a lot. Can you imagine having somebody just walk up to you and just say, you know, I spent eight hours <laughs> in filling the left half of your ass. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember i wish i could remember the gentleman's name who printed the head but i remember when he uh he printed the head i could picture his instagram and i could picture his face i just is it ben myers it. say it again ben myers yes 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 ben printed my head and it was like a 20-hour print or something 
He had the biggest part. I wish they would have put like I would have wanted to see like a like a color break. Of the, yeah. yeah, it would have been great to see like that like that grid pattern just carry right through the head. It would have been cool. But uh, yeah, Ben Ben painted the whole entire head. So the head like everything's all multiple colors and then the face is like silver. It's it's a great object. And I the other day I went to pick it up because we were just reorganizing the shop. So I, I gave it a bear hug, and I every time I put my arms around it, I go, I can't believe I'm that fat, because I, you know, I, I start put my arm around. And I put my arms around my fat ass, and I go to pick it up, and I turn like this, and I go to put it down, and one leg is still where I started. So the leg in the middle of the thigh, wherever that glue joint, is, right, I guess it was right at the knee, right under Dre did the knee, so it was right underneath the knee that Dre put on, was left on the stand. So I was like, now I'm holding, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now? I can't put him down, I can't lean him. Now I'm afraid all the weight's gonna break the other leg off. And so I like I gently laid my so like, okay, okay. And I put it down on the ground and I went and got some thixo and the pump thixo the feet back together, the, the knee back together. And I glued the feet to it was on there's a metal square that it's on, so then I thixoed both feet to the metal square. So is there a piece of machinery that you don't have in your shop that you've thought, you know. Every time I wish I had this, I'm gonna go shop for it, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I, you, uh, you know, I guess if, if I was in, a, if this was a fantasy question, is there one thing that you could have, anything you could have? It would be a, a laser that could cut steel, mm. like a laser that could cut up to quarter inch steel. And I honestly, even if that was given to me for free, which I don't think it ever would be because those machines are into the tens of thousands, of, like hundreds of thousands of dollars for a machine like that. And the type of maintenance and the type of electric dedication and the footprint for it either that or a water jet like uh, our friend over in uh, the north the northeast that has a water jet uh, fireball tools you know jason's he's you know he's basically he has a monopoly on cool stuff and i see what he has in that machine and i also see what for instance first build over in kentucky does with their laser cutter and the maintenance it requires I honestly wouldn't even want to have either of those machines because they take up so much space in the maintenance and it's a full-time job. So that's why using a place like Send Cut Send or the guys over at Ameribrade to have custom metal cut is, is a real service because they're willing to put up with that to, 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 to reap the profits of, of people in masses going to them to have stuff cut and then they, they deal with the maintenance. So I guess there is one machine that I always wanted and it, it's, it's a vintage antique machine. And I was talking to Rob Rojas a couple of hours ago, and I think we might've found one because Rob went on an amazing pick today. If, if you guys don't know Rob Rojas, look at Rojas Carpentry tonight and look at the, the, the amazing opportunities to buy things we don't need that Rob found for us today, including antique cars, but a sawmill, a five foot diameter rotation sawmill, not like the verse, Versus a band sawmill, this is like a vintage. Yeah, where you take a log and you send it through on a carriage. It requires like 30 in feet and out feet. So it requires like a 50 or 60 foot long train track. And we might be able to get our hands on one of those. And, and I told Rob that maybe we'll pull the trigger. So that's going to require a piece of land, a tool, a shed. You know, that's, that's a really big commitment. But we might just get our hands on the parts, and then it'll be probably a year or two long build to get that thing operational. Nice. So that's that. That might be in the pipeline. We just talked about it a couple hours ago, and it's it's within reach. It's only a few thousand dollars. It's not. Oh. If it if this if it was a you know if it was a real 
big. It could be ten thousand dollars, but it's it's much cheaper than that. That's why, like, let's just get our hands on the parts, and then we'll figure out where to put it. They have enough property to figure out where we could set up a sawmill. So, speaking of uh, property and building spaces, how is the uh, new workshop coming along? Um, let's see. The shop that I'm in now is like I guess my newest workshop. If that's what we're talking about, this is where we shot the television show, yeah. and it's I got my pool table, and I got my new Mercedes SL, so I feel like Dantana. I think I'm the oldest one on this chat, so I'm the only one that knows who Dantana is. Um, is, is it that kind of an SL, or is it a... Oh, no, no, it doesn't have an eagle wing. I'm, I'm not that rich. <laughs> I, I ask <laughs> questions I don't know the answer to. <laughs> no, it's not a gold wing. It's, it's a 1998 SL. I got it from a family friend. It was, all, it, it was an inexpensive car. It's... Uh, this shop is amazing i'm so honored that uh you know the guys who put it together for me kyle from r and r buildings and david the mexican carpenter and his team and a few other people that helped me along the way and, and patrick reynolds of course i i have just the, the best group of friends that helped me put this together and they you know they didn't come free but they did make the time to help me so i'm honored and i, I mean this is the best place in the whole world to me i love this place and the tv show it, was a very special event in my life and the TV show also put my ass in gear to get this place finished because once you're like all right Netflix is here I have to drop a bunch of money to get the place finished which I was just sitting on I wasn't I was like oh, I don't care if insulation shows it doesn't matter but then all of a sudden it's like that's not going to fly on TV so I pulled the trigger and we finished the interior and I'm really happy that I did but it's going great and uh the we we bought a new property me and howard howard's my business partner we bought a property down the road that's the graveyard house and it comes with a big barn and there's a huge big shop in there and tonight just an hour or two ago me and rob were talking about this prospect of the sawmill and i said if we put the sawmill right near that shop then that shop could be the maintenance for the sawmill and we could have like parts for the sawmill and then so so that then that would be the newest shop in the in the uh, in the realm in the uh franchise of workshops that's just a few miles up the road nice and is that the is the graveyard house the house that i've seen in the stories that you're working on you were doing uh, mm -hmm. fixing some uh, rot in the walls and placing some yes, yeah that's right yep yep uh, oh and then uh, uh, kamani if you're talking about the newest shop there's a horse barn in the back but that's like an extended long-term project because it's so expensive so i'm just doing that long slow and long so that's yeah i think you saw this yeah i don't even know I, I, the small scale model of it in the shop. Yeah, the small yeah the small scale model is this room. Okay. Is this room because I was I was confusing and I totally understand it. <laughs> We're contemplating the set. I'm contemplating putting a second floor in here. That was the original plan, me and the architect. Uh, but it's you know everything is just money and it's just me, so I just got to pick my battles. Everything is content. <laughs> Everything is content. Everything's yeah. content. Okay, so, Ooh, so, so here's another sort of gear-related question for you, which is, what is something that is in your shop that is better to be looking at than be looking for? Uh, everything. I know what you're saying. Yeah, everything. I, I, I just bought, for instance, I bought, when I walked through Home Depot, I still have this mentality that, I, I don't have a lot of money, so I got to be thrifty. And and I'm not I'm not rich, but I have more money than I used to, so it's easier for me to drop $100 on a battery-operated tool. 
And the other day I was walking through and I have a couple of corded belt sanders, but I was like, oh, DeWalt makes a 20 volt belt sander. That can come in handy when I'm on a job or doing a remote or in the woods or wherever. I was like, let me grab that. It was like a hundred and change. So I picked up a battery operated belt sander the other day. It's just something that in the past I would have been like, I don't need it. I could conserve my money. So I did buy it. And in the treasure chest video, I do use it for a second when I belt sanded the edge. Um, I buy, I have two of these now. And again, I'm not, this isn't a plug for DeWalt because everybody knows my love hate relationship with DeWalt. <laughs> but I have the, these, these battery operated fans are cool. Uh, sewing machines are the type of thing where I'd be like, oh, let me get another sewing machine. Maybe, you know, I use it once in like 18 months. Uh, this lathe that I'm looking at here, this is an amazing giant lathe that I got. I don't know if you can see that. That's a, a 10 foot long South Bend lathe. I'd rather be looking at it than looking for it. I have two of them. Well, I mean, but this one's here. one when you can have two for twice the price, right? <laughs> yeah, this one's here. The other one's about 300 feet away. So if I have to cut a piece here, I don't have to walk around. Yeah. And that's just production planning, right? I have a mental illness. I mean, I think it's pretty plain to see. <laughs> the other day I was driving around the property with my friend and he sees me like all the things I'm, I have. And he just goes, he was like, he just like, I guess you don't have any kids, no college. I get it. I get it. He answered his own question as he was about to complain that I have too many things. Ah, yes. The life of disposable income. <laughs> I remember that. No kids. No kids. No kids yep. go to college. So. No no kids ever. So I'm um, great. Except for on the TV show and they leave on the TV show crew leaves. No. Oh. <laughs> that, yeah, there you go. I always thought that was funny how they, they had you play like this grumpy old guy on the TV show you know, making fun when anybody yeah. that's met you would say the, the complete opposite at all times. So I always got to kick out of that. Uh, yeah, it was funny. It was that was uh, Mike pushed that idea, and I was I got I got grumpy to the point that I was being pushed to do it. So I would take it out on the kids, but I didn't. There was so many times, and and the guys on the show could attest. There was so many times where I was supposed to be like we would do. So when you watch me talk to the kids, like five or seven kids would come through in an episode, and I always knew the one I was supposed to say yes to, no matter what the other ideas were. I'm supposed to say no because the the scheduled one that we're doing that. The, Everybody got pre-interviewed, and we—I didn't, but the producers would pick the one that we were going to make, and then they'd be like, "Okay, this is the dinosaur. It's the kid with red hair. He's going to come up next." I'm like, "Okay," but I had to say no to all the other kids, and sometimes they were the most adorable kids with the most adorable ideas. And I just like I look at Mike. I go, "Mike, what, why do you do this to me? Why don't you pick kids with bad ideas? This, this is a good idea." <laughs> and I go, "I got to come up with some BS excuse to say why the idea is bad." And I basically, it's just me being saying, like, I don't want to do your idea. And, I, and it just did not look legitimate to me saying. But Well, you don't want to fun. build a time machine for that little kid? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's all it takes to make it happen. And there, and there were times where, like, these, these adorable, there was a couple times where these adorable little girls would be like, this is my idea. And I'm like, well, I'm so sorry, but we, we can't do your idea this week. And she's like, that's okay. Because no. <laughs> they're not told that they're going to get rejected. The producers don't say, you, okay, you go up, you're going to get rejected. They tell me, reject this idea. This is the one that's going to be on the list. Oh, so, so they I have the bad guy. 
Yeah, and I'm like, I'm sorry, Daisy. I vaguely remember a kid named Daisy. It was so adorable. I said, Daisy, I'm sorry, but your idea is really good, and uh, we're going to have to pass on it. I said, but you, you're adorable, and your idea is not invalid. It's going to be <laughs> so bad saying no to this kid. And she's like, she goes, that's okay. Don't worry. I, I swear, I think I almost cried when the kid said it. Derek probably remembers this more than me because Derek is like my memory. But, yeah, there was a few of those. There was one time... This young kid, he was so adorable. And we said he, he wanted us to make a robot that throws a football so we could throw a football back and forth. I don't know if that even made it to the episode or not. I don't remember. But like after it went down, we were all like, the kid lived in Pittsburgh. We're like, we got to get this. We got to get this kid connected to Malecki. We got it. We got to get this kid so we could he could play football with Malecki. It has nothing to do with cameras. We just wanted to save the kids. We, we go, where's your dad and we we like we as we asked the question we're like oh we don't want to know the kid's dad is not here with us and he goes oh he just works a lot and it was even more heartbreaking than if he would have told us that he was no longer here and uh yeah so it was it was we were all i, I think derek was like let's get malecki on the phone we got to connect with it so we could throw football around with this kid <laughs> and uh, that i don't think that ever happened but so with with that in mind, and I know you kind of you brought it up earlier in terms of kind of taking control of of your own content and, and ideas. Have you considered getting the band back together and forming the ba brain trust to do uh, something on YouTube where you take those ideas, like the football throwing robot, and kind of just say, "Hey, let's you know, let's yeah, make a we thing." Yeah. We do, we've definitely, we talk about it every day. We've talked about it every day for the last three years. It's, yeah. uh, we, we, I guess the show, we stopped filming in April of 21. So it's been two years plus that we haven't shot anything or we haven't been together in the same room. And we talk about it all the time. We have an ongoing chat. Everybody's in the chat, the producer and all, all the cast, including Justine. And we just, there's been lots of, Hey, uh, what, what is uh, from producers? Not necessarily the same producers, but producers like, hey, what would it take for us to redo the show? But it takes so long for the television business to get itself together. And now, even now, with the with all the strikes going on, there are people that don't want to work, even though we wouldn't be crossing any picket lines. But still, people don't want to work for one i don't we're not we're not not doing the show because people don't want to work it's just a contributing factor that just slows it all down you know, well, if i you... told my oldest son that dino taco toilet was going to come back i think oh. his brain would literally explode about every other saturday when we're downstairs waiting for everyone else to get up he says hey can we watch dino taco toilet and yeah. uh, that episode got watched like 25 million times some <laughs> crazy number yeah it's uh, it, it's it was a lot of fun to do. It was a lot of fun, and who knows? I, I said to Mike, I go, you better if you better figure out something quick. I said because if we're going to come back, and I'm going to be the host of season two. I'm going to be like 92 by the time the show actually makes its way back. Well, here, here's what we'll do. We'll Sawdust Talk. We'll we'll produce it and we'll put it out. It doesn't have much it. reach, and the budget is like almost nothing. And also, yeah, there's not we'll share. Well, the whole not, crew will have to share one pizza every every episode. Yeah, there's not really a lot of upside, but there's a lot of enthusiasm. So I I feel that with the amount of following and the the way the maker community supports its own, if we started a like Kickstarter to bring back like three episodes of the show, 
it would get funded in no time. Just you know, I, I've seen uh, so many. One, I like to, I like to hope so. I, <laughs> but I've, I've seen so. There was one, a lot. One thing behind the scenes. There's a lot of behind the scenes animosity that came up when we did the show. Oh well, I, I guess more so if if in terms of the maker community itself, not producers and not executives, and but like the the ground, the 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 roots of the people who start who followed the show would support it but uh that that's one thing i like about the maker community i joined this this faction i used to do photography and then i was a whole that's a whole different community when i joined the woodworking community about four or five years ago the amount of support everybody has for each other and and reaching out is is amazing and, and i think that's one of the things that drew me to it and yeah. keep me involved in it and and doing things like the show to kind of you know talk with other people who are doing it because it's just one of the best positive outreaches you know to just bring people together and learn and create <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at ben schnorr's comment <laughs> yeah, I'm, just kind of I'm honored that i'm honored that ben schnorr tuned in by the way ben schnorr is a blacksmith uh yeah. ben said more behind the scenes animosity please <laughs> no but uh yeah the, the the maker community is it's the most it, it's it's funny for people that, that are close to the community that see what happens that aren't in the community, they're like, it's like a religious experience for some people that get in this community and really find their people. And it's beautiful. So many, you know, Maker Camp's coming up and I'll probably have privateers with 10 people or more when they tell me how the community has been so good to them and, and how their life has changed for the better. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. You know, I just, uh, I'm just so happy that I found it. You know, I was a maker my whole life, but I was drifting in the ocean. I had no community. I had a bunch of friends that would come to my shop and watch me work and talk about, you know, where they're going to get the best drugs that night. And, uh, <laughs> but they never did anything. <laughs> Everyone just sat and watched me work. And uh, when I found this community and we're able to share ideas and get together at Maker Camp and, and Workbench Con, I mean, some of the most religious experiences have been at Workbench Con and Maker Camp you know, for, for all of us, it's just crazy. It's just, you know, you make lifelong friends that you meet online for a year and then you meet them in person. And it's like, you can't even remember when you didn't not know them. You know, even though you meet the, somebody in person, it's like, you've already known them anyway. It's like meeting them in person is just even just like a slight formality that's like comes and goes. But uh, in general, uh, it's, 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 it's great. Yeah, so, I, uh, I'll be attending my first maker camp this year. Oh, great. Uh, oh, great, 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 great. So Ooh, I'm uh, looking forward to that. I, uh, awesome. I, I bought my, bought my, I need to buy my actual ticket. I bought my plane ticket in my car. So I'm, I'm coming to Jersey no matter what and heading up to upstate. Oh, uh, okay. But I got, I'm getting my ticket tonight. But um, I know, I know Braden has a question. And uh, I know somebody was asking, are you looking to go to the uh, Kentucky maker fair that's happening this uh this September. summer you know the guys that at, at first build asked me and i haven't nailed down with them yet the date because i went last year i haven't nailed down with them a date me and bob and dave did our show from there and i, I think it might be a possibility that it could happen again but i need to speak to my friends over at at first build and get the dates and stuff because they, they're usually the big backbone behind the kentucky maker fair the louisville maker fair so all right so we've been distracted. So now that we've got a pile of questions, so we're going to rapid fire the questions. Sure. Um, Lumberox asks, what project to this day holds near and dear to your heart? Well, 
I mean, this is a, I always, I, I hate this answer, but it's my, it's the, it's the body of work I created on YouTube, my, my films of me making things. It's, it's really my defining legacy. You know, when I'm long gone, one way or another, these films will live on forever. The way we watch films of, you know, the early filmmakers, like all of us makers, this is going to be that moment in time where like, you know, all of us with our odd branded names are going to be remembered forever because of all the YouTube videos we made. So as far as lasting legacy, that's cool. But as far as like things that I can't believe I made, like that canoe, there was such a moment in time because it was the canoe experience was so etched in time with me connected to Nick Offerman. When I watched him build the canoe, I watched through my camera for endless hours. I had 25 hours of video that I turned into a three-hour multi-chapter series. And me watching that and then watching it again during the edit for countless hours. And then 10 years later, building my own canoe, I went like right into it without any hesitation. I, I knew almost exactly what to do because I watched Nick imprint in my brain so often when I was doing the edit and obviously the filming. So that was a really special moment in time. The boat that I just built was like a follow-up to that, which was really great. This pool table, you know, like you're only as good as your last big success. The pool table was a really a really big accomplishment for me because it was so, the people that around that lived with me and around me, they know how stressed out I was while I was working on it because of all the small details I did not want to get wrong. And the reason I was so nervous because I was working with black professional pool table builders and, and here I am going, I could make anything. And then all of a sudden you can't get these measurements, right? What's wrong with you? So I was really particular about trying to make sure that I had everything regulation perfect. And Jeff was a great help that Jeff works over at Blatt. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's a long rambling question, but I guess my films is, is to me is, is really precious. My filmmaking. Awesome. Um, Mancrafting asked if any of us are going to maker camp. I think we answered that one. Yeah. TJ is just the only stick in the mud. Yeah. Sorry. Those young kids and everything. That's how they get you. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, Dobbs Design Co. asks if uh, if there's any chance you can convince Nick Offerman to go to make camp. You know, I I'm, I always ask him. He's always pretends like he's got to make a movie. <laughs> Nick is in the Nick is in the convenient the convenient spot where anytime I ask him to do something, he's like, I'm sorry, I'll be in England. Whether he is or not, I don't know, but he can say it, and everybody has to believe. Uh. Uh, let's see. Mancrafting also followed up with our questions going to be asked and answered. Yes, but we got distracted, so we're doing it now. <laughs> Chad, relax. Uh, uh, let's see. Is there, uh, is there a project where you knew you were in over your head and you're amazed you pulled it off? Yeah. <laughs> the pool table, the boat, the canoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes uh what else was there uh, to be honest i talked about the canoe video with nick when i got that was in 2008 nick Oppman and i became casual acquaintances this was before nick was ron swanson he was just a character actor that had a famous wife and so nick said to me hey do you want to help me build this canoe i was like sure i mean help me make the movie help build the movie he built the canoe i made the movie and then i sat back and i had 25 hours of footage to sift through and like when i looked at that footage i was like i am so in over my head i have to sit here you have 25 hours to look through but 
add that up to making decisions of what to keep, what to throw away, what looks good, or you take two takes of the same thing, which one to choose. That's when I really felt overwhelmed. I was like, okay, I sold myself as an editor. Now I have to sit here. It took me almost a year and a half to edit that 25 hours of footage. I just kept getting from the boat company, like, hey, how are we looking on the edit? And then Nick got famous as Ron Swanson. He was beginning, like season one was out, and I still wasn't done with my edit. And I had to begin. So I really, I, I had too many factors waiting and watching. I couldn't just be like, oh, yeah, remember that canoe video we filmed? I don't know. Whatever happened to that? No, they were like, when is it going to be done? And uh, we pulled it off. We pulled it off. It was, it was very stressful. But I definitely felt like I was in over my head back then. But now that's a walk in the park because I edit all the time. But at that time, I hadn't edited nearly as much as I've done by now. That was way before YouTube. So, so yeah, there's been a lot of projects like that. And, and, uh, and in, in, in a way, I mean, to follow up with Ben's question, in, uh, in a way, I show a lot of it on YouTube. Uh, sorry, I show a lot of it on Instagram as I go, almost like as a promise to myself and the fans, like, look what I'm doing. I swear I'm going to finish this. Look what I'm doing. I swear I'm going to make this. Look what I'm doing. And with the pool table, the pool table, I, was, I, I knew Blatt was watching me and I was nervous, and I knew that Typhon was watching me and I was nervous. But I kept saying, look, 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 look. It's, it's, it's happening. It's happening. I swear. Uh, now I'm doing that with, with the graveyard house. I'm doing exactly the same thing. I have, to, I have to jump the line real quick from the questions because my wife had me ask one. So uh, I won this uh, from a uh, Making Fun watch party. And so my wife wants to know, uh, is, there, <laughs> is there an age range uh, recommended to put this together? Because my daughter's a little older now, and I think she wants to do it as a project with them. So uh, is there yeah, like a recommendation? I, I don't think there's an age. There's an age. No. Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, it, it, I think you would actually have to probably hold the power tools, but I think it would be fun. You let her paint it and glue it together. Yeah, I, I don't so. think there's an age range on that. I, I've seen older people make them for garden boxes and younger people make them for, for toys and Legos and stuff. So it's a utility. Actually, you're going to laugh. My phone, <laughs> look at my phone right here, right? My phone is leaning on the, the toolbox. So you could use it for everything. Use it to hold your phone up. So, very good. All ages, all ages, no age restriction on that. Good. That'll be a good project for them. So, all right. Uh, we are coming up on our hour, so I'm going to knock out the the housekeeping stuff so that we don't have to rush through that. But, uh, Jimmy, thank you so much for being on tonight. We love getting to know you more. Uh, it's always so fun to meet somebody that's so passionate about the maker community. So, well, thank you. Um, but uh so special thank you to our sponsors sir prep and george supply co um if, if you want to listen to this episode or previous episodes you can listen to it on all of your favorite podcast apps i'm not going to name them i never remember all of them they're they're all over the place um and that's, that's all i got so oh also uh everybody should go check out the childhood uh cancer challenge that makers for saint jude is putting on uh mike over there at Woodworker versus Cancer uh, has started a challenge and he is collecting like a ton of cool prizes. The maker community is doing what it always does and it is rallying behind this project. Uh, he has a goal to collect at least $10,000 for 
St. Jude's, and he's shooting up there. So get involved. Uh, it's makersforstjudes.org slash challenge. Go check that out. It's in our bio. So that's what I got. TJ, take us home. Oh, okay. Uh, give me most of the time when we have a guest on and we're trying to wrap the show up, I like to ask them to give us a, a piece of advice or some encouraging words to get us all into our shops, kick the door open, make a mess, turn a tool on. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to share with the rest of our viewers this evening to get us all excited to, to get out there and get it? Well, the, people keep asking me why I'm digging so deep into this old house that I started working on, because you can see it's a, pretty much it's a disaster. But I'm not intimidated by it. And people say, like, what, like why, why, why didn't you just buy a house that was done? I said, because, I said, what else am I going to do? I'm here now. I'm alive. I'm passionate about fixing and making stuff. And this is the perfect project, of fixing and making. What else am I going to do? So I guess the, if, that, if there's a quote there, it's like, what else do you have to do? Meaning nothing else is more important than what you gonna, what your heart is telling you to fix in me. So what else? Love that. What else? Yeah. Somebody make that sign. What else are you going to do? And it's, you got to say with a New York sarcasm, what else are you going to do? I'll bring it to make a camp. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the font, the way that like, uh, um, uh, Lizzie makes on this, like the way the words like, she makes the word maker and it's like wider at the back. You guys say, what else are you going to do? So it kind of has the sarcasm in the gesture of the letters. I got a month. I'm on it. All right. Get to work, Monty. All right. No, I guess, yeah, just to get out there and do stuff. I mean, we're all, I often say, you know, I'm not a very spiritual person in a grand sense, but ever since I was a little kid, I was put here and all I've ever done is make things. And, it's been my urge. My urge is to make things. So I'm here to make things. So I'm going to make things. It's a little simple. It. It's a little simple, but it's. Hey, look, I, I frequently am found using the phrase, if not me, then who? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm off. That's it. It's been a little simple, so it all works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was given skills to do stuff for a reason. I might as well use them. Very all cool. All right. Well, okay. thanks again, Jimmy. It was great talking that's to it. you. We're that, done? That's, no, that's, no. that's it. We don't have one of those big fancy podcasts that for multiple hours. <laughs> I'm shocked Instagram hasn't booted us, booted us off yet. We get a hard, we have a hard cutoff at pretty much an hour. So Oh that, really? Okay. That that's it. We just wait All for right. the thing to shut us down. So All right. Well if anybody wants to ask me a question, you could try and try me through Instagram if anybody needs to get a hold of me. I sometimes peruse the filter and I, I get through to some people. There you have it. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, everybody. You guys, guys, nice to see you all. It was a, it's a pleasant surprise to see all three of you. So thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. yeah, we'll see you at Maker Camp. It's nice meeting you, Jimmy. Amen. Yeah, brother. So you hang up or I hang uh, up? Uh, you go ahead and hang up. <laughs> you hang up. I don't, I don't even know how to hang up. I guess I just hit the X. I, yeah, I think so. I'm scared every time <laughs> I do this. I'm going to just delete the whole thing. So I'll X out 